Well, friends of the roundabout, today's the first recorded episode with a guest in the studio. It's my pleasure to introduce Jason Modica. Jason has packed so much into his life so far, uh, and it's my goal to talk to him today about as many of his adventures as I can. Jason, life growing up in rural Australia in the 70s and 80s in Golgol, what can you tell me about that? Oh, dogs, you've just given me tingles. Um, geez, it was different. Like you compared to now and, you know, nearly approaching 53 and um, trying to put together an understanding of what it might have been like. Like we were there, but it was a long time ago. I was there. But mm. for me, it was, a, it was a real awakening. You know, as a, as a really young kid, I was obsessed with church. You know, we went every week. Really? I used to love what the... I don't know whether I loved the actual aspect of it, but the social nature of every Sunday, whether it's in the morning or the afternoon, is turning up to church and right. having your cousins and your extended cousins and the funny divide in St. Michael's in Baronga where, you know, mm. all the Italians sat on one side and all the Anglos. And I don't know whether that's true, but that's how I remember it. Do you know what I mean? Um, wow. So and you were like little Bart Simpson, but the half Italian version. 100%. And that wow. half Italian thing's really interesting too. You know, I Jason's a an Anglo name or Greek background and my brother's Mario as a lot of people who might listen know but I could get away with not really being Italian but clearly was and there was always an understanding that you were half Italian um, mm. and just a bit of a digress I remember when Jack Nolan uh, mum's father died uh, in 95 um, mm. a lot of people that she grew up and your parents grew up with said uh, we still can't believe your mother married an Italian this was my grandmother's my grandfather's uh, paternal grandfather's sorry maternal <clears throat> grandfather's funeral and I think my response and you know, I've always been pretty comfortable with the response was mm. oh well it was the birth of multiculturalism before it started you know not before but Al Grasby so a lot of my memories dogs are um, loving being in the car with the old man and my brother what sort of car? Uh, well the original one was uh, an XB uh, Ford uh, Ford Falcon 500, red, yeah. but it was a station wagon. Beautiful. Crashed it when I was about 11 and a few <laughs> other vehicles. Um, and Uncle Jack had the matching one, but it was uh, it was the V8 green metallic ute. Uh, absolutely beautiful. The old knobs, knowing him. Yes, but maybe overhead foxtails and chrome-plated grease nipples. Who knows? And an 8-track? No, no, it was just all radio back then. The, yeah. uh, that's the other thing, too. I was obsessed with radio. I, yeah. Whenever, like, I loved American Pie, and I would ask Dad what a levy was, and the yeah. old man was great like that. He'd always answer. He would never yeah. leave you hanging. If you asked a question, well, particularly when we were really young, and I must have been one of those kids that just didn't stop <coughs> asking him, he, yeah. he would give you the answer. I used to love doing the water with them, whether it was overhead sprays or furrow. Uh, and yeah. I know the word for it now when, you know, brain hits the ground, it's Petrichor, it's a beautiful Paul Kelly song. Mm. Uh, it's the word for it. But as kids growing up in the summer in Mildura or Golgol, um, that smell was everywhere, whether it was from overheads or, mm. or the irrigation. So It yeah. is a beautiful smell, that overhead. Oh. It doesn't happen too much now. No, no. But that, they're the major memories. And we grew up in a house that didn't have TV uh, until I was about six, didn't have an, uh, a flush toilet. Uh, so very much connected to a maybe a pre-war period. Um, th there was an understanding that there were a lot of migrants in Golgol and Golgol North, lots of Italians mm. at the school. And, um, you know, probably early understandings that there was a little bit of division and maybe a little bit of racism around. But really good memories. I've got bikes really early, really yep. rode everywhere. And 
genuinely explored in a really open and free way until we got into trouble and then all hell <laughs> broke loose. I couldn't imagine too many people throwing racism at your dad though back in the day like he's an imposing sort of a man. No, not not, not like that. Uh, and you know, I've always picked up on things and listened and with, with intent. Mm. It's just that, that unspoken narrative. You mm. know, I can only remember dad being really angry about being called a wog on a couple of occasions in my 50 years. Mm. But even the, the stories that probably imprinted it for me was, you know, Nonna didn't, even towards the end of her life, didn't speak the best English, but she could mm. get by. Apparently it was really hard in the early days. And there was lots of stories about Italian growers trying to buy land in certain spots and it wasn't, wasn't allowed to happen because that was an Anglo area and okay. they had to buy elsewhere. Um, so yeah, good, good memories. But I find that my memory, because of the beauty and the ability of dad and his family to tell stories sometimes melds in yeah know, as you get older i guess that's the thing isn't it? as you as you age the stories change often mm. um not necessarily deliberately just through the the memory of what you think happened maybe yeah um so having met you sort of initially 1984 i think it was um and then you were someone whose path I crossed for quite a number of years, sort of until we became friends. Um, your teenage years, I assume, and I have witnessed from a distance, would have been full of adventures. I had another word in that question, but I, I softened it up with adventures. What was um, Jake's sort of teenage years? What happened? Look, I think there was a couple of spots there. And, and coming out of Golgol, there was only usually nine to 11 boys in our class at Gold Gold Primary. And I think the big change for me was um, dad was intent with mum to, and mum had gone to St. Joe's. So we went to St. Joe's rather than Akumi High. And then you've gone yeah. from, you know, I think it was about 18 girls in sixth grade and 11 boys to four classes of 30 uh, in wow. year seven. Um, so we've come from this really curated, tight-knit community. Mm. You know, I remember my old Uncle Joe Longy caught Mario and I walking along the Golgol Bridge and we're oh. meant to always walk along the bottom because we're just yeah. being punks. And, yeah. um, and it took him a while, but he ended up telling Dad and I think we got a bit of a... So everybody knew what was going on, but the moment we crossed that bridge, the moment we came into a school where you melded in, um, mm. the world changed, but still, it was, the, it was the basic things that we did. I played footy in winter. Yeah. Played basketball and cricket in summer. Mm. Had a crack at tennis and that too. It was all based around sport. There was still great... It wasn't until we were 14 and 15, I was 14 and 15, that church started to stop. We started mm. to get a bit more of a choice. Um, and started to meet people that read, that mm. uh, went to movies that weren't uh, every which way but loose, you know. And <laughs> What a movie. <laughs> what a great movie. The old man loved Clint Eastwood. And, and I think going to uh, St. Joe's offered a, a very different view of the world, even mm. though it was still very much buttressed in that, that Catholic education system. But there was room to move. And, mm. and uh, along with, with Mario, I didn't really have a problem with questioning the boundaries. I pushed them sometimes, but mm. I always questioned them myself, um, first and foremost. And that usually turned into adventures, you know. One of my best memories with David Blake was we used to try and, you know, save up five bucks, ask everybody for 10 cents that you made along the day and we'd mm. go to Kalamastrakis's fish and chip shop back from the corner of Olive and 10th and um, you know, buy a couple of bits of flakes, some dim sims and some chips and eat them at his old man's flat. And we used to do that every day. We used to thought, well, 
was probably in year 10 or 11, we thought were pretty cool because you could sneak out at lunchtime, didn't have to be under the, the tutelage of a teacher. I remember that, Chippy. They did very well there. Yeah, I think it's a... I don't know what it is now. I think it is a, an outlet for a, a builder. Okay, um, something. So that... And then all the, the people... You know, the other thing that I've always said too is at that stage, Muldura between, say, 82 to 86 when I was at St. Joe's before they um, politely asked me to not come back because it could be quite disruptive. Was there an event that caused that? No, not... Oh, yeah, there was. It was yeah. just called Year 11. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think I... Um, my favourite story about that, and my partner Danielle tells it all the time, is that Craig McDonald, uh, a good mate of mine, but has been in Canada for 30 years, I think, or travelled first and then ended up in Canada. Mm. He was ducks, ducks in Year 7, Ducks in Year 8, or close to in that top bracket. Yep. Ducks in Year 9, sat next to me in Year 10 and nearly failed. <laughs> and uh, then I think his mum made the request of the staff to not put me in the class, Maybe and he went on, on to be school captain and, and did a degree. So yep. I just didn't have the facility or the capability to sit still. Like, yeah. The other thing when we reflect back on what we did as kids, not only loving tractors and driving, but we would go with dad and Uncle Jack and other cousins and people who were working there from seven in the morning until yeah. five at night We from a very young age. So we were just out and about, ready to work and ready to have a go. And it turned into mischief more often than not. So you were sort of, were you in a way like many replicas of your dad and your uncle? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And you could probably nearly pair one with the other. Yeah, there yeah, if yeah. You, if you, you know, if you have a bit of a look at that, it's look. And you've got to put you've got to put it into context. You yeah. know, it's a hundred years this year that Dad's dad arrived in Australia on Boxing Day in uh, nineteen twenty-two. You know, so by the time that um, Dad and Uncle Jack were teenagers in the late fifties, early sixties, the whole world was there to be taken. There, you know, there was there was no talk of overdevelopment. There was no talk of overextraction on the water system. There was. An ability to work really hard mm. and make lots of money. Prosper. Prosper. Maybe prosper. And and they they didn't stop working. That's one thing uh, I, I I really misunderstood growing up is that that ability for immigrant people in any uh, colonizer country mm. is to just if you can go every day and you can mm. make a few extra bucks in fifteen years you'll do all right. You'll just keep, just keep going. bringing it. And they were good role models in that way. For sure. You've got to turn up, but also yeah. when there was hard work, you got to have a drink, you got to have a good feed, you got to have a bit of a laugh. You got the reward for your hard and work. And had really. all those all those yeah. things in spades. So, so after the, um, the, the the nuns asked you to leave St. Joe's, what happened? <laughs> what was next? <laughs> oh, because it was a bit. It was quite interesting, actually. I um, I could have gone off to tech school. I, I kind of always I I really loved the topic. Like I was good at. Pretty good at legal studies, pretty good at mm. politics, loved history, you know, good at remembering dates and, you know, trying to pull things apart and say, well, you know, how did or why did it happen that way? Um, and sort of wanted to, but I don't think I actually had the wherewithal to make, ask myself to do the harder work. Mm. I wasn't good at that. I wasn't good at saying, all right, Jace, this is what you got to do to get there. So the yep. easiest thing to do was to get a trade. So I think I, um, I worked with a... Uh, a larger builder now who's still around. I think mm. I did six or eight months with him from late 86 to the middle of 87. Uh, then I went and worked with Dad again on the block for a little while and then picked up a trade with uh, David James as an apprentice mm -hmm. ceramic tile layer. And that was really funny because we didn't have a tile in the whole house on the block in Golgol. There's not a single tile. He didn't lay vinyl? Ah, uh, uh, sorry. No, no, all, it was all ceramics, all a bit of um, marble and some, some uh, terracotta. 
So it was, a, it was in the deep end for me, but mm. David was a bit like that. He worked hard and he played hard. Mm. So I, um, you know, I got to have a very robust education from a guy who was a good tradesman, but liked to drink and a bit of a play. So when we went, went, went away and did work, yeah. I think it was the week, and week of my 21st, we were in Pernkerry and it was just every night was practi- like a practice night in the pub before we come home for my 21st in 1990. So. Just to pull back a couple of years from the 21, um, if you could sit down with the 18-year-old Jake now for, for as much time as you needed, what would you tell him? Yeah, look, that's uh, that's huge. But I think more specifically is be a bit more trusting of what you really want mm. and be prepared to work a little bit harder on who you think you want to be. Like, oh, I think we were my family was very skilled in doing the physical work Mm. but that analysis of what you actually desired because if you go off without a full understanding of what you're you're doing you can end up anywhere and i think through through what we're discussing i did you know Mm. when i started to travel and that it got i got torn from pillar to post because i could never make my mind up you know and i think your point is really valid there mate that now you know in the 2020s um sort of I was going to say young guys, young people. People, but, yeah. You know, I listen to a lot of particularly young blokes that run podcasts that have pretty well inspired me to do what I'm doing here now. And these guys are really into um, thinking about their own mind. Yeah, self, own... self-actual, self-actualization. It's You've got so to have good. some form of focus. Yeah, and t- truthfully, that's exactly what I'm doing here. Yeah. I, I, at 50 years of age, I'm going, I need to... Think about things mm. a little deep, so, a little deeper than just, you know, be the bloke that has fun and you know has a good time and works hard and does all the cool things. But at fifty, it's it, it and I think, you know, it, if I could go back too, mm. I'd, I'd have a real good chat and probably throw a couple of left jabs at myself and go, <laughs> you know, pull your head in, son. But um, well, I think for, for me is I didn't realise how much my parents gave me in regard to the things you don't understand which is Mm. a warm bed uh, support when you've done the wrong thing Mm. um pull you in the pull you into line when you thought you were a bit bigger than you were yeah you know the ability to say and dad mum and dad always said finish what you start Mm. and i i seriously wanted to not finish my trade over and over again because so many people that i was friends with were studying art studying law Mm. you know playing sport in melbourne doing all sorts of things or you guys when all the friends that we became Mm. um, associated with all disappeared I was sort of waiting waiting to finish my trade yeah Um, Um, it's a big question coming up and I'll follow it up with a bit of uh, a bit of definition behind it so when did you realise that there was more to life and what I mean by that is having known you for 30 plus years um, I've seen a transformation from <clears throat> the bloke that I sort of became mates with in about 88 to the person that sits across from me now. Um, yeah, back to my original question. When did you realise there was more to life? Oof. Um, I think it's always smouldered there. Mm. Like we, being an immigrant family, we weren't a bookish family. Mm. But, you know, we had the World Book Encyclopedias and uh, Test Cricket Lists and Calypso Summers, so I'd yep. finger through all these books. You know, I have a quite a fine book collection there at yep. home. you do. And um, when I um, started getting interested in um, 
women and girls and dating and I'd, I'd meet people and their mothers and fathers and their friends and they'd say, oh, have you read Papillon? Have you read mm. Roots? Have you read um, uh, Travels with My Aunt by Graham Greene? And you go... And, and I started reading these books and, um, and I, you know, I wasn't the best reader, but for some mm. reason I just kept on going. And I think every time I read another book, and I don't know where the interest came from really, dogs, it's mm. just it happened. And then people saw that I did it, so they kept offering more stuff, you know, and then you end up reading Heart of Darkness or, you know, my favourite, Kerouac on the yeah. Road. And, um, yeah. and I think through that... Uh, self-education a bit of self the, the little bit of self-awareness that was there mm. um really kicked in and i reckon it was around the time you and i had known each other so i reckon 91 92 93 so you which is around 21 22 yeah yeah but every a lot of old friends always said oh you know you're always pondering about something i was always yeah. deeply looking in whether it was insular in a selfish sense mm. or projecting it out and saying this could happen and yeah. I, like, I think it's from um, uh, the Modica side of the fence. Very opinionated too. Like I never yeah. thought I was until I realised... <laughs> until I realised... <laughs> you're coughing in your coffee. Until I realised oh, some people really, they just don't have that want or need to weigh into every argument, you know. And you know that I've done that for a bloody long time. Yeah, I think... Um, and maybe you sort of learn to argue. I mean, I... I I can't. I can't imagine sitting around your family dinner table when you were fifteen, and you know the other siblings were a bit older, a bit younger, and then your, your mum and dad. I, I can somewhat imagine it. So I've got such fond um, memories of that. We had yeah. the, we sat in the same spot every night. Yeah. And one of the things that you know, in a psychological sense or a psychoanalytical sense, I sat sat opposite from dad, so we're a mirror of each other. Yeah. So we were so similar, and a lot of people who know us really well say oh my God, you look the same, you sound the same, you just have a different view of the world. Yep. And that I think that maturity you're talking about means that, yeah, we disagree, but there's so much that's been shared. Uh, you might have some hiccups, but you want to go back to that um, mm. the, the family tree as much as you can, you know. He, he may be the one that's taught you to, to not, not argue, I don't want to use the word argue, to, to fight for what you believe in. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as you say, whether it's, whether you agree on the same things is, is irrelevant. It's He has taught you those lessons, which you'll probably move forward with your own kids, I guess. Well, going through that now, I'm a 17-year-old yeah. son, and we have great conversations, and we all already have distinct differences in how we look at the world. And yeah. he will come back at me. He said, Dad, one thing you've always told me is to believe that you can explore something to mm. um, see what the other side are saying. Or to, to, there might only, might only be one other side. There could be a dozen other opinions or Definitely. versions. Um. So, yeah, um, that's, you know, for me, late teens, early 20s, really had some, so many great times in Mildura. It was, it was really fun to hang out here. And we knew a lot of people. You know, as I said, yeah. the population is so much bigger now than it was in the 70s, 80s and 90s. And mm. we did. There was a whole crew of us that just, if, if I didn't connect with you, I'd connect with this other person or this mm. other person. And we had footy friends, basketball friends, family friends, school friends. It just went on and on. Yeah, it was um, yeah, a good a good era of our lives. Um, what's your life's greatest memory? <laughs> it's funny. It's thirty years since I won the a second premiership in a row with um, with El Chiringa in nineteen ninety two. Yeah. Now goal goal. And if you bookended your life, 
to win two premierships in a row after losing two premierships in a in a way that I look back on that with fondness and I sat with a couple of guys that I, we played that premiership with the other day and it was just mm. really nice to have a have a chat but that was before I left that was before I really tore my mind apart and yeah. and, and tried to recalibrate things um, no, to, to push through a lot of the discontent I had as an individual mm. like I I was always a bit cocky. I was always comfortable. Like I was always, but there was always a, a burning self-doubt deep within me. And I think working through that over a multi-year period, mm. like it didn't happen quickly. Uh, that's, you know, on the back of being with the family, going back and playing footy with the, the club your dad helped start, yep. doing all sort of that. Then something closed in 92 and I went off and started another thing that explored the essence of who uh, I may have become. Mm. Uh, and that, that wasn't easy at all. Having seen you play some footy during that year, I reckon that, you know, my question before was, <clears throat> when did you realise there was more to life? I reckon that year you probably played footy with more angst and aggression because you wanted to get the heck out of Mildura or what, what, do something or whatever you're going to do with your life. And that probably, that probably helped you. Mm. Um, well, you certainly helped them win the, the grand final and maybe that angst and that desire to do something new I, I don't know I'm not a, I, I'm just sitting here thinking about it going well it kind of makes sense, sense. but it's, it's that idea of, of growth you know I'd always had some ability in, in cricket and football and it always yeah. shown potential but once again I didn't have that self-belief or drive to do the extra training to mm. learn to kick with your left foot to have someone throw 100 balls at you every night yeah. wicket keeping so I had the natural skill but I didn't put in it was funny, as soon as I finished playing sport and I, I went on my first trip in 92 to the States, which if, if I look back on it seriously, it was good, but it mm. could have been something very, very different. Um, once I started, I knew I was ill-prepared for travel, but I kept going back to the well. I kept saying, well, I tried that, let me try this, and then worked through my own yeah. shortcomings because um, being brought up and looked after so well, like we didn't live in a fancy house and we didn't have fancy cars, but... Oh my mm. God, we were the spoilest kids in the world. You know, we food, yeah. alcohol, friendship, support—a good argument if you if you yeah. needed it. The red um, jag jacket. I still go back to it. Uh, Sally Beresford sold me that. In For the, plenty, in, in no the, doubt, back in the day. In the, I think it was three fifty, but it was in the. Wow. Do you know where um, Mr. Germano's yes. hairdressing shop is? Or and um, Terry Parisi's in there now. Yeah. It was the shop next door yeah. there where the Bung Me place is. Yeah, I, I remember going in there and always walking out empty-handed because. An $80 shirt for a 12-year-old and <laughs> wasn't going to happen. Um, and you must admit, some of my fashion sense has been dubious over the years as well. Like, it's, it's not, hasn't been a high priority for me. Each to their own, is what I'll say. Um, just, I guess, before we get onto a little bit of travel chat, um, and I keep throwing these enormous questions in that, I don't know, just because they're things that I think about, but if you could change one event, one emotion, one action from your life to date what would that be look I, I, I think it goes back to 92 and I was yeah. so homesick and I had a, an understanding of what I thought my first trip overseas was going to be mm. and it was all of that and more but, but I couldn't deal with it mm. you know I, I had the security of mum filling the fridge I had the security of dad having a beer fridge full mm. I could you know I had it wasn't just a family. We were brought up in a community. As I say, it takes yeah. a village to raise a kid. 
And I think one of the things that I would have changed or could have changed is I ended up in, um, flew out of out of Melbourne in on the 15th of October in 92, ended up in LA with a couple of other people. And it was funny, Jodie Alderton was running the Banana Bungalows over there and she's a goal goal girl. Mm. And that was a great connection too. And then ended up um, going to the Grand Canyon going to San Fran, up to Vanc, Portland, Seattle. Yeah. Didn't even stop and see any grunge. This was the interesting wow. thing. There was things going on that we it? just kept on flying past. Did a bit of time in Vancouver and Whistler and then got a drive away and, and returned a car from Vancouver to Boston. Mm. And then got to Boston. Van- sorry, Vancouver to Boston. In six days. How many miles is that? Oh, I think it was about 6,000. So, so I that's went, what sort of... I was doing about... to Perth? More, a little bit more, yeah, 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 something like that. Very wow. similar. In six days. Six days, yeah, yeah. And but that's I didn't have to pay for the car, and I got one hundred and fifty dollars in fuel, and I just and that's how irrational I was. It was like mm. I just want to be somewhere else, and yeah. then when I got there, I wanted to be <laughs> wanted yeah. to be somewhere. So it's that it's, self-belief, dogs. I just didn't have. And you were mostly by yourself, though, right? Yeah, so cried, cr- cried in the car, cried oh. in the motel rooms, writing letters to family, friends, and ex-girlfriends. It was ridiculous. Wow. But got to Boston, had my 23rd birthday in Boston, bought a 1978 Plymouth Valare from Bluey and Howie, a couple of boys from Mandurah in WA for 200 bucks, and then drove from Boston to New York in the biggest snowstorm at that stage. I think it was, we left on about the 14th of December of 92. Yeah. And um, had a great time with, uh, and there's uh, two Aussies and a, an English bloke that came with me in the car. I was doing my own Kerouac. <laughs> Kerouac you run. Were, you were really Before even, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Except you had the money to buy your own car uh, rather than jump trains. Yeah, and um, I ended up, I'd never missed a Christmas with family, and yeah. I couldn't not. So that's the point. If I could have comes back to family, yeah, yeah, again. If I could have got through Christmas and New Year, but I wouldn't have known what to do. I, I'd, yeah. I couldn't think. I had all these great ideas, but I didn't mm. think how I could put myself into the simple task and you and I have spoken about our differences in how we travel to find a single bedroom flat Mm. to find a a cash job because in New York in 92 there would have been hundreds Um, I just and that's the point if I could Mm. have stayed there and the other one that I play with because you've asked the question is that imagine if I had gone to Bali or Indonesia or or Mm. the Philippines at that time to be and looking back on Keating's politics, sorry to bring it back to politics, he was looking at Asia for Australia in a different way as well. So they're the two yeah. things that I look at that I could have, if I could change that late 92 date to be a little bit more committed to myself or to, uh, yep. to have asked a little bit more of myself. Because mm. I wasn't asking anything of myself. It was all freewheeling and no responsibility. That's a big year though. In one year, like that 92 to... Um, you know, play an entire year of footy, win a grand final, um, take off. I forgot you'd actually left at that time. I mean, obviously, I was, it was around. Like only a cu- in Melbourne, it was a couple of weeks from from the winning the premiership to being on the plane. Yeah, wow. And then, and how long were you in the states, Canada, total? Nearly three months. Okay, which is oh. not a bad. I don't. I look back on it fondly because it, it. And then I'd been the other thing that I'd been doing is, um, just. One last thing, my memory uh, of your trip being in LA, um, the bridge. Can you tell us uh, a little, <laughs> little story? Yeah, well, we, we landed and um, I crashed out straight away. We landed sort of late in the afternoon. 
and um, there was a big kerfuffle at about 11 o'clock so I had like four or five hours of sleep and then we'd got up and mm. and there was a guy who used to work with AJ Hackett who was the he was a Kiwi and mm. he was doing illegal bungee jumping off the first bridge in the California State Forest as you do at night wow um, so there was a bit of a a a hubbub in the in the foyer and people say can we do it should you do it do you want to do it mm. uh and everyone's going yeah why not it was a, it was a I can't, in my mind it was a full moon but it might have only Surely it was full moon and it was like yeah there was misty misty and it was glistening off the yeah. water and it was about a 45 meter drop like wow. it was big and it was one of those lovely 50s 40s or 50s bridges which had the big arch in the middle beautiful bridges in um and uh, Nathan Fisher, who was already in the States, who I met up with, we yeah. travelled with for that first part of the journey. Mm. Um, he had a, a Bedford with a 350 V8 in it, so we stacked that for 15 people. Two other cars came, and the guy, nice. the Kiwi guy, had a Mustang with all the gear stuffed in the boot and the spare seat. It was hilarious. And he was a good looking bloke. He had yeah. the flat top, you know, he could have come straight off the set of. Um, Top Gun? No, what's the other oh, one? The um, one. The, Side out. No, the one with bloody um, uh, Johnny Utah and Patrick Swayze, oh, uh, Point oh, Break. Right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and so we went up there and about 15 of us between about one and four in the morning, mm. uh, bungee jumped off this bridge with a, with a body harness, not with the ankles because it oh, was okay. safer. Yeah, yeah. And there was screaming and there was, you know, uh, people at either end of the bridge watching for people to come and there was yeah. really no one came through. And I reckon it was mm. probably 45, 50 minutes out of downtown LA. Um, and just like to land in LA and then to have that happen, like this, this is the thing about the, the two ends, the two ends of the, of the scale was, you know, mm. I was being introspective and I didn't think that I was doing travel well, but that story alone within itself is incredible. But the beautiful yeah. thing was, as we went back and did the same thing the next night, <laughs> so everyone went for, for a second go. It's not the first bridge you've jumped off, though, is it? No, I never jumped off the Mildura Bridge. It. No, it was... Uh, am I allowed to mention names? Oh, you can I mean, say whatever you like. Pete Wilkinson, M. Yeah. Modica, Jay Short and R. McGlinkley. And myself and the big tournament, Tora chickened out. <laughs> we just... Nah, I don't know. But, but just to step back a bit, because, you know, we have moved pretty quick and you know that I do like a large narrative. So yeah. Is that, it. you know... I had a little ute that we always had three people in it, a two-seater ute, and we were always at the clubs and we drank and drove and we smoked mm. too many mm. cigarettes mm. and we were loud and obnoxious and we thought we owned the place. But no then the people hated us. Yeah, but they I don't... still do. And this is that idea of where you come from. Like yeah. I, you know, I used to sit in the vehicle with my dad and my uncle and they'd be going up Langtree Avenue and they'd be waving at this cousin or that yeah. person or such and such. So I used to sell dried fruit too and they used mm. to buy bottles off this bloke to make tomato sauce. And it's just like there was an ownership. Yeah. And it's funny that I've ended up on council too because that, mm. you need a little bit of ownership to want to do that as well. For sure. And yeah. to me, those memories, and we, you know, one of the funniest stories, and I'm going to tell it, is that my brother and I look very similar and, yeah. um, you know, we sound similar and I remember I'd had four or five beers and we wanted to go into town, so Muzz drove yeah. and uh, we got pulled up on the bridge <laughs> and the cops said, what's your name and who are you? And he said, Joseph Modica, so my... <laughs> but he got me birth date wrong and I got the, got because it was only a paper licence, so I've handed yeah. the licence across to him and he said, Joseph Modica, 10th of the 12th of 69. Yeah. And away, it just would never happen now. You know, that... And no. I'm not. I don't want to say that to brag, to brag, but there was no. an invincibility 
at times. It was. Um, with all, with particularly from myself and my brother, and yeah. I know from you as well. Because the other fond memories with you is that we'd wear everybody out by Sunday night, and then it was just you and me driving around from five o'clock until midnight on a Sunday night. You know, what can yeah. we do? Who can we who can we catch up with? How you know? Should we drive to Nangelock? I don't know. Why well, not? That was Let's always go. the one. Oh, we should just drive to Sydney, and we never got <laughs> further than probably. Merbeen South. South, yeah, yeah. A wrong direction. Or Trentham Cliffs, if yeah, you're lucky. Exactly. Um, no, you're, you're right. There was enormous amount of fun, enormous amount of discontent, but not really. It, 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 this was all pre-grunge era, right? So we were pretty... Yeah, so 87, 88, 89. 89. It was the In Excess era, yeah. the U2 era, you know. It was the, the, the high school boys that weren't the sporters, which is my mates. Yeah. It was... The St. Joe's girls that were the St. Joe's girls and, you know, the St. Joe's blokes hated us, uh, high school guys, and the high school guys hated us too because mm. we were probably just cocky wankers, I don't know. Or really. we were just all very different. And I think yeah. I, I got yeah, I think to go so. through that challenge when I when I went from Goal Goal Primary to St. Joe's. Cause yeah. it, um, but even the curriculum, a lot of the go- the teachers at Goal Goal had come out of Sydney, so they, they were all union and league mm. people and you come to Goal Goal, and we're all AFL because yeah. you know we're on the Victorian border. Yeah. So I'd already gone through that in a way. The other thing that I really like looking back, and I did try and be friendly and approachable to everybody. I think mm. you remember me trying to break up fights, <laughs> fights in the mall on a couple of occasions because yeah. I just wasn't wasn't into yeah. that sort of. Except when I got angry, and then that's yeah. a different story. That has I have witnessed that. Um, you said before actually. Um, <laughs> you said your dad said um, you got to start. You got to finish what you start. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what year it was, maybe 91, uh, the end of an Easter, possibly. The camp ended up back at Wilga Road. Muzz hadn't been a part of that. You and he in the hallway, full punch up. Yep. I'd never really seen a humans actually fighting a foot away from me. Mm. Um, I, I don't know what exactly you like. That was confronting. Yeah, to no, me. 1990, was, I reckon that was. I have yeah. a deep love and respect for my brother but oh yeah. my god we're very different yeah and that was apparent very early and it was we we didn't we didn't fight we fought a lot verbally yeah we didn't physically fight much but at that period that 87 to 91 oh yeah. we went hammer and tong on a few occasions he <laughs> yeah, actually la- oh, he landed one on my square on the nose and I just just started <laughs> bleeding like you've never seen nice one mother uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Rightio, we'll leave the boxing <clears throat> behind, move on. Um, so I spent a few years living in Scotland myself in the late 90s, um, and and you did in the what, early 90s. 94, yeah. Um, what are your memories, if any, of the beautiful Scottish Highlands? And I'll say this with a clarification. As I used to say, Scotland was the um, premier nation of the third world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because... Uh, with the um, with how the highlands were cleared in the 150 to 200 years prior to that, and there's mm. a name for it, I can't can't remember it. There is a really downtrodden aspect to the Scottish people, and but yeah. clearly, clearly with the connections to Britain and then the intermarrying and the different kings and queens, there's an aristocracy. Except and I, for you, Dan Hume. Yeah, and I feel the the, the Scots have this really earthiness mm. uh, and made a heap of friends. I, I think we lived and worked in a little place called Aviemore in the Spey Valley um, 
in 94 for about 15 weeks maybe. Yeah. Once again, I couldn't sit still. You know, you got yeah. somewhere you were making, saved money, how, typical of me, That's saved money on, on three quid 13 an hour. Like, how do you do that? Wow. Um, uh, loved the people. There was Aussies, there was Kiwis, there was Dutch people. Yeah. There was people from Dumfries that whenever they'd speak to me, I couldn't understand a yeah. single word that they said. Yeah. And my memory was, it was great camaraderie. Mm. Like the, the, the work was good. The pay was terrible. Mm. The people were just in for a crack. Is that a Scottish term too? Not Irish, really. I reckon. Irish. And it was just a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but that was, that, was, that was led on the back of, um, you know, you and I living together on the corner of 7th and Madden, where I met and became good friends with Mr. Michael Thompson. And, um, Shout out, Tomo. Yeah, and the Treaty of the Gas Oven signed on the Carn <laughs> Gorms Mountains in 1994 between the Protestants, sorry, the Anglicans and the Catholics. Once again, always riffing on religion at some well, point. You, you did tell me you enjoyed religion when you were a kid, so uh, it's in there. Well, I love the history of it. I don't know, the practice is interesting, but mm. the, because if you look at what drives people to repetitive behaviour to feel good about themselves, mm. every religion has an aspect of that to it. It's just how you populate it with your own myth and narrative. And I reckon we almost did that with the group of people. You know, we made our own so. myth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But Scotland was awesome. Um, but once again, comfortable. Should have stayed longer. Had a two-year working visa. How long did you stay? I said about four months. Oh, four Ended months. up in Amsterdam in August of 94 and did all the wrong things. Yeah. You've um, got to do that now. Yeah. Uh, too many cakes, too many yeah. Hill Street blues and got very paranoid. Once again, tapping into that yeah. inability to stay, longing for family yeah. um, and just cleared out and came back home. But But still have people that I catch up with now from that period nearly 30 mm. years ago in Scotland probably nothing like you know if you're feeling a little a little homesick a little sorry for yourself and participating in um, activities that are going to make you paranoid yeah and Amsterdam and was well renowned like if you sure. if you want to smoke or if you want to have a bit of cake that's where you went mm. and, and I found mm. Amsterdam like like a Mildura or a Melbourne show, but for adults, you know, it, it was, was just, bright lights it was and off tap. And I had a beard and I had long hair mm. and I'm always very approachable. I got touted for all sorts of things all the time. Yeah. So like, do you want this, mate? No, do you want that? Mate? It became, I actually became quite paranoid about how I looked because I just kept on being asked if I wanted to buy illegal substances. Yeah. So. Oh, I had a shaved head that was bleached <laughs> Blonde. in the late 90s. So, you would imagine a bit the same, I guess. Um, but it was same, all, same. it was also nice to travel with Tomo. Um, yeah. And uh, the other um, friend we were travelling with was great to travel with for that period of time. But I always, I couldn't stay away. You know, there mm. was, you know, I remember my sister's 18th was one of my old Jack Reed, who was very, very played a significant part in my upbringing and would tell me stories about World War II and all that sort of stuff. He passed away when I was over there. Yeah. So there was always this reflection to home. Like I, I think Tomo used to say, he said, you know, you've been away and you've done that much, but you've still got that, you know, Murray River grey floodplain mud under your fingernails. Yeah. And it, it's still, well, I'm still here. It's Exactly. It's a good, a good observation from Tomo though. Like you've always got the golly dirt on your fingers really, yeah. I guess, even metaphorically. Um, speaking of golly dirt, well, n not really, but a different kind of dirt. Um, Ayers Rock, 93, 94, for both of us, um, was a time of, uh, oh, there's so many things to, to draw in there. There's so many words. Our personal growth 
Can I? You, I think personal growth or, or plumbing the depths of one's own inadequacies. Oh. I put up there for me to be very polite. Yeah. But, um, but what'd you take away from being out in the desert? Oh, look. Once again, it's this balance for me. You know, mm. the the in and the out. I um. I think we got got home from Europe in August of September of '94. And then I worked for a little while. I can't even remember what I did. And then, oh no, we got home in August of '94 and ended up mm. at the Rock in yeah. in um, in September or October of '94. But once again, I only went because my older sister Lisa mm. went there and started running the little salon in uh, Yalara or out at Uluru or the township. And she said, "Yeah, yep, there's plenty of work." And I've, you know, I've. The funny thing there is, I'd finished my trade, but I haven't, I hadn't worked in my trade. I'd never gone as and worked tiler. as a tiler, yeah. yeah. So I went and did maintenance out there, and just got on the piss. Yeah. Just really went hard. A lot of uh, great people who mm. probably, and I reflect on the enormity of of living. Like every time you wake up in the flatheads. If you're on mm. the right side, you could look directly out to the rock and depending on the day and the cloud cover, it would be a different colour. So you're yeah. out at this most unique and spiritual place for Indigenous Australians, but then for all Australians overlaid on the top. And I don't yeah. think I respected it enough because I was, I was just getting mad and getting drunk, mm. you know. And, and once yeah. again, from the discontent of not really knowing where I fitted in, you know. So that, yeah, from the, from the 92, the sort of the, the, the year from 92, so you got there 94, so yeah. two years, it's not a long time, is it? No. To sort of go, okay, I'm starting to think differently about the world. Mm. And then to be plonked in the middle of the desert in a place that was run by a corporation yeah. to which, you know, Rock Resort as Management. You know, I was on the other end of a, well, nearly an extraction from the rock early mm. days, just from being stupid, yeah. really. Yeah. Just from actually being a, a dickhead, mm. not even... Just I was 22 or whatever, but um, yeah, yeah well, that I was remember the big blue that I got in, and I got punched by the right bloke, and they couldn't yeah, sack him, Carlo. Carlo, so I, couldn't I, remember. I couldn't. They couldn't sack him, so they wouldn't sack me because, and you used to, you, you were meant to get sacked from yeah. any form of physical confrontation. Yeah. Um, but I think once again, this this is back to family, and it's really strange mm. that I have this great reverie for my family, but there's always a little bit of discontent from myself deep within it's nothing to do with them it's to do with mm. how I looked at the world and I really plumbed those depths once I got to the rock mm. but I went because my sister was there so there's an in, yeah, inconsistency yeah. to to how I thought or how I I assumed I felt I fitted within the world and clearly thought about it too much rather than just mm. getting on with it you know I know that when I was there your all of your siblings were there at one point or another yeah, yeah. Um, not all of you at the same time no, I think no um, but obviously you and Lisa initially, um, then, yeah, Mars and them later. Yep. Um, but a tick out to the uh, Anglo side of the family, Lisa ended up there because uh, Natalie Nolan worked out there with Darren Rake. So there was a link in. Yeah, okay. And I think Tomo and Suze, who met up there, there was a similar link out of Lincoln. So once yes. you get someone to go there and you realise that if you're going to do the right thing and you get a job, it's actually... Yeah. A pretty good lifestyle to put four or five years in. I think Lisa spent five years out there. So. 187 days, and I was gone. Same man. as me. Got yeah. your got your remote zone allowance and cleared out. I think it was 700 bucks or something. No, I think it was 1400. Was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, and I think some of the people I met out there. Tomo was lucky. He met a lot of people who had worked closely with the indigenous community. Yeah. A lot of memories of the Azaria Chamberlain stuff, mm. which was very still topical at the time. Yeah. And that. 
that, that, that first colonisation moment through the between the wars, I think, or a little bit earlier, um, and the discovery of it, it was really unique. Uh, but the second half, after, after Christmas and New Year of 94 to 95, I really went into myself and struggled greatly with who mm. I was and why I was there. Why well, I was not just there, but alive. Yeah. I just sat in a chair for three months and read wrote, books. read books and yeah. scribbled, you know. There's two memories that I can... <laughs> they are so far apart from one another. It's, it's... Oh, and played cricket. Well, that leads me into the first of my memories of you at The Rock. Um... It was a Saturday morning, I reckon you're banging on my door, um, <laughs> let me in so I opened the door at whatever time that was, um, and you were wanting to borrow a pair of jocks because you didn't have any. This is my recollection of the story, as we said before. So I, you know, in the darkness or whatever, or the hungoverness of whatever I was going through then, grabbed a pair, chucked them to you, off you went, went and played cricket. Um, won the game. Won the game. After the game, stripped down in the shorts, had a look at my jocks that you were wearing, and they were ladies. Ladies, yes. So <laughs> you made uh, 175 at uh, World Yalara. No, I think I got a couple of catches and a stumping and made about 12. But well, no, I, I didn't have any jockettes. I only had boxer yeah. shorts, and I was a wicket keeper and had to bat, so I couldn't keep a box in. So I thought you were the go-to, but Jackie was much more yeah. prepared than I didn't you. have jocks in. There was the boxers back in that era. So um, shout-out to Jackie. Oh, uh, so funny. Um, then the continuation, was that the day... That I drank a little bit too much? The infamous shower day? Yeah. Was that the same day? It was the same day. The very same, the very so same two day. memories, and I didn't actually know that until I'm saying it to you now. Where did you go, do you think, then? I know it's a big question, and we may well edit here, but... Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm finding this quite refreshing because I did have a bad relationship with alcohol, you yeah. know? I think when you're 18 and 19 and you have six or seven beers in a pub and then you go home because you've got to work the next day, mm. even saying six or seven beers sounds weird now, but that was just what we did. Yeah, but well, that, week, probably... that weekend, the intensity of where we were living... The yeah. fact that I didn't feel like I had a purpose. Mm. I didn't feel like I was worthy of much. Mm. I desperately wanted to be a writer, desperately wanted to be known mm. and understood. Mm. And I think I'm even further from that now, but I'm much more comfortable with who I am. Mm. I just drank and drank and drank. And, and you saw the result of that in the bottom mm. of a shower at the Flatettes. In, mm. I think it was um, the weekend before Australia Day, 95. 90. Yeah, no, nah, ninety-five. Is it? Because we got there in ninety-four, had the new year. Oh yeah, and then yeah, went on. Yeah, yeah that's, that's sorry with the rain man date thing. Nah, it's good. I've been getting I'm a few right. wrong lately. Lisa's called yeah. me out on a couple. She said, Ooh. "Oh no, no, no." Yeah, anyway. and, and you're normally pretty tight on the numbers there. So yeah, I do. But the funny thing is, is that that the, the months leading up to Christmas and New Year, mm. the the Friday night binge at the at the um, the tavern were awesome. You know, yeah. even when you guys turned up after yeah. your drive, your big drive with a <laughs> yeah. box of beer. Oh, a box. Um, at the pub Two and we... Two blowouts nearly hit a bloody, what, an eagle in the truck. Yeah. Anyway, that's another story for another day. But, but yeah. I think it, the, the, the travelling was a continuation of the fact that I was just not comfortable as a person at that stage. You know, mm. the, my thought process is usually bubbly and, and, and happy to engage. But every yeah. now and then there was a a deeper darkness that I could never really put a finger on that came through. So. And that's a challenge when, you, oh. when those moments hit you. When you, you know, if 
you think you're going to spend your life in sunshine mm. and when the darkness comes um and at 20 whatever you were five 25 yeah 25 you know we look if i looked at a 25 year old now i think of them as a kid mm. at 50 and, and now that's a shit thing to say but that's just you know i go oh 25 year old he's only a, mm. a kid but at that age we thought we were we knew everything yeah. about life yeah. didn't we oh. uh, and we knew not that much we knew some things but nowhere near enough well, but I think our, these support, the familial support net, networks are second yeah. to none, you know, and as much as I grew older and I began to demand that the people around me saw the, see the world in a different way, mm. that, didn't, that lasted a while, but it didn't last long because it just yeah. made me unpleasant, mm. and, you know, and you don't want to bang your head against a wall that long that you're bleeding and the wall's nearly broken. Yeah, that's right. Um, and people are standing at, but around looking, looking at you. Yeah, that. yes, but mm. that support, that familial support. Yeah. Um, from both my mother's side of the family and my dad's side of the family and my brothers and sisters was mm. massive, mm. you know. And the other thing too, I probably always overestimated how tough I thought I was. I always had yeah. an aspect of fragility that mm. in when, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, um, considering different ideas of how you thought or how you behaved, I just didn't go there. Like, sorry, I went there, but I never articulated it, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, all right, we're just sort of moseying through Jake's life. Um, there's, a, there's sort of a, there's a few gaps from Ayers Rock, obviously, you know, I went to Cairns, you, I, I'm not even sure where you were at that point. That's pretty shit to say, but I, I can't remember. It was a while ago. Um, but you were always pretty keen on the hitchhike. Um, what did being on the road at the mercy of a stranger teach you? Now, before you answer that, I wrote that question down and then went, fuck, Nick Cave could write a song called At the Mercy of a Stranger. Oh, totally, yeah. So, Nick, if you ever hear this, <laughs> go for it, Pen mate. to paper. Wow. Uh, um, yeah. I've got a couple of cracker hitchhiking stories, but my first one is probably the best one, is that... Um... So, yeah, sorry to interrupt you there. So, yeah, you're hitchhiking. You said there's... One awesome story. Yeah, yeah, we um, went to have New Year's Eve in Surface Paradise 88, 89 with yep. Craig McDonald and um, Mike, uh, Coxie? David Cox, who I saw and had a beer with, or didn't have a beer with, actually. I had a lemonade and had a beer at, at Easter this year. And we drove up there and um, my cousin and Pete Kelly and I ran out of money and we, we decided that we were big enough and brave enough at 19 and 17 to hitch home. So we got yeah. about 11 rides to Gunnedah and then we got stuck in Gunnedah and oh. then we had to ring our mums who were sisters and they yes. sent the money out and we caught a bus home. But the, the third ride, I think we got, I think we walked 10 k's out of Surface Paradise and then got wow. picked up by someone and dropped another 50 k's down the road and then got picked up yeah. by someone else, so kind of not that memorable, and got another 100 k's down the road and then, um, so we crossed the border and I think we got picked up near Tweed, south of Tweed Heads, that sounds about right, 100 k's. Mm. Mm. We got picked up by this guy in like a 1984 Toyota SR5 with a canopy, and he was yeah. wearing nothing but uh, speedos. <laughs> and he was balding with a kind of a comb over. Wow. And he, he kept on telling us that he was a salesman for speedo, 
and that he he wanted us to try on. Well, we stopped at the beach and he was trying to yeah. get us to put the speedos on and go go for His it. His name was an Ivan. Was that it? was Bernard. Oh, and, oh. Yeah. Bernard the <laughs> Oh, and he was telling all sorts of stories about his. Oh. Um, love of the women and how women loved him and they used to do all things for him wow. and it was a bench it wasn't a bench seat so it was two bucket seats and i was sitting in the middle and he was rubbing my thigh every time he changed changed the gear but he bought us oh. a six pack of beer oh. and it just got worse wow. and then he bought us um uh bought us pies bought us sandwiches more beer and he took us about yeah. 150 180 k's and my cousin pete's just going this guy's a legend and when we stopped we actually stopped and put the speedos on and went, and went swimming at Lennox Head Beach I think it was oh, wow. Lennox Head or somewhere around there did and he accidentally fall off his, his speedos who did Burn no they did didn't but we weren't oh. looking because I took Pete out as far as I could and said we're out at the next town this guy's given me a little bit of an inside leg rub every time he changed Should have put the Pete, PK in the middle Pete's seat. going no he's fine he's awesome. nah we're done so we said, no, we're happy here. We've got to go see someone over there. And we cleared out. So that was my first experience. I never had another one like it, but there's a, I, I did a hitch from Margaret River to, um, to Perth in 97, sorry, 98 when I was over there and got picked up by a school teacher who didn't talk to me, got yeah. picked up by an old Jewish bloke who was born in the States who married a, a, a part Iroquoian, part Maori woman and had oh. a had a um, smoke hut in his backyard and wanted to crank it up for me oh. and, 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 you know, find my deeper self. I probably should have listened to him. Yeah, and then, well, got, he might have you then got picked up by a bloody, um, a Polish bloke who yeah. was obsessed with Australia and Fremantle because a Polish bloke circumnavigated the world in the late... 50s or early 60s and he used to listen to the updates on the radio so yeah. he always wanted to come to Australia and live in Fremantle and he did and he sold multi-million dollar medical equipment wow. and had this most incredible conversation about what Australians are like and he said yeah. you know in, the, in a broad uh, Polish or Eastern European mm. accent he's saying you're not as, oh, I'm not even going to try and do the accent you know Aussies aren't as laid back as they think they are they're a little bit so more true. obsessed with alcohol and money than they let on and, yeah. and he had these really so I've had really wonderful but hitched in the States hitched in Europe mm. um, not not volumes and volumes but probably more than the average more person me did um, you ever hitch at all um, only the time from 15th Street <laughs> Easter of whatever year that was old mate but yeah, a bit the same. I think it might have been Bernard. Yeah, it could have been Bernard. Oh, wow. Anyway. Every time I see my cousin Pete Kelly and we mention that, we just giggle, <laughs> giggle our heads off because you are, as you said, you're at the mercy of a stranger. You are. But what I've found is most of the, the, the people that I've hitched with, yeah. um, look, Bernard wasn't bad. He didn't, sorry, he could have been bad or wrong, yeah. but he never got to that point. So still even with that weirder memory overlaid on it, and because I was 19, I was just... I was out there to have experience, you know, to yeah. see what went on, and there, there's a risk involved with that. Well, there, there definitely is. <laughs> um, just on that risk topic, perfect segue. Um, '99, the East Timor East Timorese crisis began. Um, I, I don't want to sort of take a political spin on who was right or wrong. Or, or there, I've got a, uh, a a very dear East Timorese friend, but. Um, so you went across there in 2000. Yeah, yeah. Why? Well, same thing. I, I was still playing out this, you know, the road was going to lead me to a better place and I'd, I'd gone to St. 
lived with since sorry, let me go back. I spent 97 in Adelaide, 98 in Margaret River, back to Mildura for my sister Lisa's 30th, lived with my cousin Paul in Golgol, ended up in um, St Kilda for nearly 12 months, which was the yeah. longest period I'd stayed with cousin Angela too, yes. so family, family, family. Yeah. And then was determined to bury some of the demons. So we mm. went back to um, Yalara and Ayers Rock and Uluru mm. for the millennial new year with my cousins Janine and Jerry. Once again, family, family, family. Love it. Uh, and my wonderful sister said, you can't, you can't live at Ayers Rock Resort Management under the rules of Ayers Rock Resort Management after you've done 12 months in St Kilda, which was a wonderful time. And it's where I really honed my skills as a, as a, tradesman, work, a tradesman working for... A bigger uh, Dominic Mamaliti, uh, an Italian Is bloke. He a cousin? No relation. No? no. I just walked onto a job site in Port yeah. Melbourne and said, "I'm a tiler. Have you got any work?" He said, yeah. "Are you serious?" I said, "Yes, I am." He said, "Well, you need a you need a union ticket from the CFFMU. You need a long yeah. service card, uh, and you need um, super with uh, CBUS." So I went yeah. and set up those things, and I just had this wonderful relationship with him for eight yeah. months. Once again, then just said, "No, I'm going to go back to." Ayers right. Rock, went back there, had a wonderful yep. new year, had a great journey with Janine and Jared, and I got some writings there from it. Mm. Um, and then took Lisa's advice and went back into um, Alice and met more anthropologists in the first week in Alice yeah. Springs that I could imagine yeah. because of all the work being done with Native Title. Yeah. It was a spinner. Yeah. Spent about eight yeah. or nine months there and then reading the Northern Territory News after being pretty introspective and, and living by myself and doing lots of mm. reading and and getting to that spot where I was actually challenging myself to do things, mm. um, challenging myself to follow through, challenging myself to think a bit bigger, sorry, not even think, act a bit on what I was thinking. Yeah. I thought, well, bugger it, it's the newest nation in the world, I'm going to go and offer my services. Um, yeah. So I found an ad in the paper, SNN Constructions, headed over there. What they sold versus what I turned up to yeah. were quite different things, though. Um, Not surprising. The Timorese people were amazing. Yeah. Timor is the most beautifully rugged country you've ever seen. Mm. Uh, there was 15 blokes in a, uh, a Southeast Asian-style house with maids and everything. Yeah. Most of them were over 60 with a, a 1960 version, like a pre-67 mm. referendum version of... Australian and Aboriginal whites and women mm. so it, it didn't work very well for me I was meant to be there for yeah. uh, three months mm. and a lot of the people who got there actually transitioned into UN work pretty quickly yeah. um, because they were trying to rebuild um, and I was on malarial, malaria pills Oh, yeah. And they, they do weird things they toyed they? with my head yeah. absolutely toyed with my head so was it the pills or was it the you definitely was you yeah oh uh, no I'd, I'd I, th I felt good about myself because yeah. I chose to leave rather than falling over. Yeah. I think that's a key point too. It's an honourable thing to do yeah. to go and help people that need some help. The funny thing, well, but it was an honourable thing. Yeah, 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 for sure. But it was an honourable thing for me to go, I'm not cut out for this. Yeah. It was 12 months since the Australian invasion, uh, mm. removed mm. the Indonesians. Mm. The, the day I flew out into Dili, you know, uh, a Kiwi soldier was executed in the hills behind Dili. Mm. So I'm listening to Triple J about to fly to Dili and wow. I'm just going, what the... I did a lot of research about the Portuguese being there from the 1540s, like the yeah. connection. And, and mm. Timor was was uh, administered out of Mozambique because it was the last East African stronghold of the Portuguese. And that didn't change until the Indonesians took over in 75. Uh, when that's tied into the Australian journalists were killed there yeah. and that... Yeah. 
to be political, that commentary on how after the Timorese protected us in World War II, mm. even through Whitlam's time, we didn't give as much support to protect them from Indonesia as much as we could have. But that, yeah. that archipelago is pretty, pretty interesting. I want to go and walk itself. it one day. Mm. One day. Yeah. When I get a minute. And so I, I, went, I, I didn't go home. I went back to Darwin. Um, mm. But the funny thing was I was a tiler. When I turned up, uh, the boss kept on saying... Pallet of glue turning up to tile the... Because uh, all the, the toilets in the um, airport were rendered. Yeah. I'm ready to tile. I said, the pallet of tiles are turning up from Surabaya tomorrow and the pallet of glue's turning up from somewhere else mm. uh, the next day. They said that for 35 days. Never so, showed. Never showed. So I pulled up some tiles in the airport. I helped electricians pull wires through roofs. Wow. I stole the 1980... Sorry, I borrowed the 1985 Magna and just went driving through the back hills of Dilly for yeah. hours at a time because no, yeah. one, no one needed me. Give them 30 bucks an hour. Uh, I used to... In the airport, there was the Central Command of the Australian Defence Force. This is pre-9-11. Yeah. So I used to walk across the airport through to a little through a little hangar, around another yeah. door, and there was this huge... Cent, uh, and I'd check my emails with all the all the warrant officers and that sitting around me doing their work. So I'd go every five days and they'd say, yeah, yeah, right, mate. It would, would never happen now. Mm, no, um, it wouldn't. And the other thing, and this is about being honest with yourself, I'd made my mind up. I knew it wasn't right for me. Yeah. And the guys were saying, oh, you'll never get you. They won't send your tools back. They won't send you back. They won't do this back. He's an asshole. And I went and made yeah. an appointment with him, sat down with him. I said, mate, no glue, no tiles. I don't feel comfortable. He said, I'm oh, out. I'm out. He said, well, when do you want a ticket? Take him everything you want. He, like he was just a general, but so I think yeah, okay. there was a bit of fear going on there, generated from something else. Mm. So it was really well, well. It was a war zone not that long ago. I mean, well, it was a war zone when I was there. The time, yeah, I remember you telling me stories, sort of hearing you know bullets fizzing around, oh. and that's yeah hard to imagine. Um, just but once to, I think just to put a finer point on that, yeah. I've always had the ability to bite off more than I can chew. But at that mm. stage, at nearly at just turning 30, I was a little bit more comfortable to go, oh, hang on, I'm not six foot five and bulletproof. I'm mm. not, you know, I'm not everything I thought I was, you know, and I started being more realistic about my shortcomings. Mm. And I think that reflects back on what we are talking to before about how you mature through those difficult periods in your life. And 30s, you know, you start, well, I just really quickly reflected back when my 30s went... <laughs> Or my, 30, or my thirty, <laughs> or my thirty, or my thirty-first in Wilgar Road. Exactly. So yeah, look, uh, yeah, that's that's sort of that's the, the fun element we've always extracted, um, which ties nicely into um, in '99, 2000. I was living in Canada. Uh, email was new, but it sort of was up and going. Um, but by mail, post, you and I started writing a movie. Yep. You remember anything about that? What the funny thing was, um, it was about yes, I do. There was three blokes and two women living in a house, yeah. and they they had strange names that reflected their character. This is just all off memory, yeah, yeah. and I could find the info, I reckon. Yeah. Um, and uh, and our, and and we did. We I reckon it was five or six letters either way, and but it ended up being made. What was that series that was made years later that you said? Um, yeah. Um, Oh, Channel 10, 10 yeah, yeah. Um, with the oh, unicycle bloke. Yeah, it? I can't um, remember. It, we, it, yeah, exactly. And that would have been... 2002 or three. Yeah, it was very, very similar. Um, yeah. 
And that was pretty cool, I thought. And I, Secret Life of Secret Us. Secret Life of Us, yeah. Wow. But I was always a pretty reasonable letter writer. Yeah, um, for sure. I think when I left, when I left um, Alice to go to, uh, sorry, left Uluru, Yulara to go to Alice, I ended up writing Tomo, I think a 19-page letter of the week that I'd had. He <laughs> said, oh my God, Monica, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> uh, wow. That's... Um, well, that gets us to a bit over half of your life, Jake. I reckon um, part two is going to be quite different to this, but yeah, I've just got a sneaking suspicion that there'll be a, a theme run through. We'll just leave that as it is. Um, thanks so much for joining me on the roundabout. Um, it's number one of hopefully hundreds of these. Um, you know, as I sort of said in my little intro when I did the other day, I just bought a laptop and a microphone and pressed record talk for four minutes and shot it out to spotify like who the hell am i kidding really but anyway give it a crack um gotta throw the dice dogs mate exactly thanks heaps um this will hit uh spotify hopefully you, when you hear this it'll be on spotify uh and i'm just wrestling with apple to try and get them to let me on oh it's a bit um, difficult is it well it is yeah but i've neg negotiated the the corners that I had to. I've negotiated the roundabout, let's say. I've, I've done about six laps of it. Yeah. And it spat me at the other side, so let's see how it goes. But um, enough ramblings. Thanks for joining me. Enjoy it. Um, if you do listen to this, hit like, hit follow, hit the thumbs up, all those things. Um, that's just going to help me create more of these. So, Jake, thanks so much. Um, and we will talk soon. Thank you for the invitation. Great to chat, mate. Awesome. Cheers.